Our scripture this morning on this Palm Sunday comes to us from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of God. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them. And he sat on them and a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? Crowds were saying, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, oh, they became angry and said to him, did you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them, went out the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. Back when I was six years old, back in 1990, My parents took me and my brothers to the New York World's Fair. Yes, there was a time when the world had world fairs. And New York was the closest we'd ever get to a World's Fair, so off we went. Now, when you're six years old, there's not a lot that you end up remembering about such an experience. And it is a real testament to the creators of the fair, what a six-year-old ends up remembering, what left an impression. There are three things I remember from the New York World's Fair. The first had nothing to do with the fair. It was the train ride into the city. I think little boys always remember their first train rides. So that was a big deal, and that was number one. Number two was the UNICEF exhibit that featured the new West Coast Disney ride called It's a Small World. It was its premiere. It was like nothing I'd ever seen and experienced before. And once you hear that song, It's a Small World by Robert and Richard Sherman, over and over and over again, you never get it out of your head. It remains my favorite ride at Disney. 
That was number two. Number three, and final, and perhaps most important thing I remember was a clown on a donkey. The clown and donkey I saw at the movie my parents took us to at the Protestant Pavilion exhibit at the fair. When your dad's a Presbyterian minister, it means you stand in line for the Protestant exhibit. And the movie they showed at the Protestant Pavilion was a movie conceived and directed by Rolf Forsberg called Parable. And the movie depicts the world and humanity as a circus. And along to the circus, in a Palm Sunday kind of way, comes a clown riding a donkey. The clown never speaks throughout the movie. He just acts, and his acts are acts of courage and kindness. He helps a circus worker carry pails of water to give to the animals. He stands in for a man of color who has been seated hovering over a dunk tank, the target of ang an angry baseball-throwing businessman. He releases a woman imprisoned inside a sideshow. He brushes off the shoes of children sitting in the stands. And eventually, the circus powers that be string him up and do him in because he is undermining their way of doing the circus. And then, a morning later, with echoes of resurrection, you see the clown and donkey making their way to the next town. That's the last and probably the most important thing I remember from the New York World's Fair, a clown and his donkey. Interesting what a child remembers. It's also interesting what Matthew, Mark, and Luke insist that we remember about that day when Jesus' entourage arrived at Jerusalem. This is a story that has been passed down over the decades of the first century, and the collective memory of the church is on that first Palm Sunday, they remember certain things. They, they remember the crowds, of course. They remember the palms or leafy branches, to be precise. They remember the hosannas, and they also remember the donkey. They remember that Jesus insisted on riding on a donkey, a donkey with their little colt. Strange that Jesus would make plans to ride a donkey into town. He's never depicted riding a donkey before. We assume he walked from town to town. But into Jerusalem, he rides an animal that barely lifts his feet off the ground. Matthew explains to us that it was Jesus' way of enacting the prophetic metaphor in Isaiah and Zechariah that the messianic king would come riding a donkey, and, and there's a lot to be said for that. But to know Jesus is to know that it's more than that. Jesus is not just checking off the fulfillment of prophecy box. No, there's more to the prophet's vision than that. If the world was going to be saved, they imagine, it would not be saved by somebody running, riding in on a chariot or galloping in on a stallion. No, no. If the world was going to be saved, it would be by someone who was more interested in smallness, someone more comfortable on a donkey than a steed, someone not really interested in impressing the bigwigs, showing off who's boss. Jesus is interested in smallness. He's sweating the little things when he rides into the big city, maybe to say that if the world is going to be saved, it will be saved by the little things, the little things done with great love. Sure enough, what does Jesus start to do when he enters the gates of the big city with his little donkey? He starts attending to the little people. He heals the blind and the lame. 
and listens to the children sing. He clears the temple so that everybody, big and small, can come and pray. Oh, it's the little things that count. Which may explain when back 100 years ago, the Pope at that time, at the turn of last century, Pope Pius X, when thinking about an almost forgotten young French nun who died at the age of 24, called her the greatest saint of modern time. He was referring to St. Teresa of Lisieux, who became a nun at the age of 15 and struggled for years at what little she could do for Jesus. She didn't think that she had it to be one of the great saints, St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Joan of Arc, St. Francis. No, she was just this little nun in this little monastery. And then the spirit spoke to her and told her of what she later called the little way. And the little way was the calling to do little things with great love. Little things with great love. For God loves through the little things. Said she, love proves itself by deeds. So how am I to show my love? God, great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every little glance, every little word. And the doing of the least actions for love. The splendor of the rose and the whiteness of the lily do not rob the little violet of its scent nor the daisy of its simple charm. If every tiny flower wanted to be a rose, spring would lose its loveliness. They call her today St. Teresa of the Little Flower. The little things done with great love if I, am to fold my, if I am to fold napkins for my sisters, said Teresa, I shall seek to fold napkins with great love. If I am to bake bread for my sisters, I shall seek to bake bread with great love. If I am to pray for my sisters, I shall seek to pray with great love. If I am to offer a cold drink to my ailing sister, I shall offer that drink with great love. The little things with great love which may have been what I was feeling when two weeks ago I was invited to return to my childhood church up in Detroit to preach at their centennial. And I got there early on Sunday morning, early enough to walk along the halls of that sacred space where much had changed and yet much had stayed the same. And inside each room I peered, I saw people. The rooms were empty but I saw people, the people of my childhood who loved me and took care of me and did little things for me with great love. I saw Jess Milhouse, who took time out of his busy life to be the superintendent of our Sunday school. I saw Eileen Ward, who put up with my seventh grade Sunday school class, deserving of a Medal of Honor. <laughs> I saw Denny Davenport, who was my youth director and became like an older brother to me. I saw Marilyn Drake, who took care of me when I got the chicken pox at our elementary church school camp. I saw Bob Shoblin, my high school principal, who once a month would open up the high school gym and pool to let us kids horse around for a couple of hours, challenging us to one-on-one. -on -one. I saw Ken Olson, who took us little boys to explore the forest 
and learn about God's beautiful earth. Oh, the list goes on and on and on. The great cloud of witnesses who did little things with great love. How were they to know how much they were saving the world? Or at the very least, saving this little boy. It makes me think of Joan Lancaster, a little girl who grew up on Siesta Key, who loved to read and especially loved to read the Chronicles of Narnia. She loved them so much she got the idea to write the author, C.S. Lewis. She did, with, she did so with some questions for him to answer. And wouldn't you know that the revered Oxford Don and best-selling author, one whose image had already graced the cover of Time magazine, wrote her back with his best attempt to answer her questions. Encouraged by his response, she wrote him back, and back came another reply. She wrote him again, and back another reply, and she wrote him again, and again, and again, and with every letter came a reply 27 times. This revered scholar and saint of the church wrote this young woman whom he had never met and never would. I cannot tell you what that meant to that young woman. I've never met her, but it's really beside the point. The point is doing small things with great love. This is what saves the world. In a former life, I spent a good bit of time in the Copan region of Honduras where my previous church had come upon a young woman who had a bunch of kids already at her home, her own kids, but also had a heart for kids who barely had a home. Kids on the street without the support from home to go to school. Patty Cotto went out one day and gathered a few of these kids and found herself the shade of a tree and started to teach them reading, writing, arithmetic. Just a small thing she could do for the little ones because didn't Jesus say, let the little children come to me? Just a small thing done with great love. So first there were five, and then there were 10, and then there were 20. And then all of a sudden, the little thing turned into a big thing. And now there's a grade school in La Entrada, Honduras, with nine grades of children who would not have the ability to attend a public school. Never underestimate the power of little things done with great love. Remember those words of Martin Luther King when he preached on the topic, what is your life's blueprint? In it, he said, and when you discover what you will be in your life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Don't just set out to do a good job. Set out to do such a good job that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, he continued, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, ah, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Do the little things with great love. Like the old Hasidic tale Martin Buber recounted about the rabbi named Zusha who died and went to stand before the judgment seat of God. And as he waited for God to appear, he grew nervous thinking about his life and what little he had done. He began to imagine what God was going to ask him, Zusha, why weren't you Moses? Zusha, why weren't you Solomon? Zusha, why weren't you David? 
But when God finally appeared, the rabbi was surprised to hear God say, Zusha, why weren't you Zusha? In a world where politicians ride around in limousines and end up doing very little, in a world where little children feel less and less safe to go to school to learn their lessons, in a world of supersized sodas and lattes and cars and homes and guns. The rabbi finds himself a donkey because he's a donkey kind of guy and it's the little things that matter. Chariots seldom change the world. It's the smallness of things that change the world. Daisies amidst the roses little things done with great love, for it is a small world after all.